Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And that was a total and complete lie. I wasn't going to be on the other side of the country. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. MJF, CVV, uh, pleasure to sit down with you. We're getting off on a bad foot here, and I don't want to, because you seem like a nice guy, Chris. You really do. Don't ever fucking abbreviate your name like you're some hotshot around me ever again. Okay? Sorry, Chris that's, Van Vliet. That's kind of my thing. Cool. Maxwell Jacob, Jacob Friedman. Friedman. Yeah, but only I get to do the MJF thing. You're not. You're no MJF. So let's start this over. Do another introduction. I, I, I'll do your thing. There you go. Go for it. All right. Uh, Chris Van Vliet with Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Uh, Still shitty. <laughs> I know that it was your dream growing up to play pro football. If you could go back, obviously things worked out pretty well for you. It worked out pretty good. <laughs> if you could go back and change anything to make that happen, would you change anything? That's a great question. Look at you, man, oh, with the you. powerful questions. That is such a nice, <laughs> silky suit. Thank you. You, you think the Joker fantastic. might wear something like this? I think he would appreciate that, and then he would probably... Probably kill me. Probably cut your lips off or something, just for fun. <laughs> We'd like to also check on your socks because it's it's common knowledge that your sock game, game is strong. And where, where is your, what are your favorite, you know, what do you look for yeah. in a sock? That's sort of a, a Space Invaders? Yeah, this, that's what's again? going on here. I don't know if we mm-hmm. can see that there, but I mean, uh, yeah. if you get your leg a little higher, we can. Socks, uh, socks, your core. Is strong. <laughs> Chris Van Vliet, how you doing? I'm doing amazing, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on. What socks have you got on today? Oh, wow. That, I like that you asked that. Wow, how did you know? No, uh, these are like the Chris Van Vliet sock stories are infamous. <laughs> I will uh, describe these in great detail as you can't see them. They are a sock from a company called Bugacci and these are flamingos. But the flamingos are like a teal blue with a little bit of a purple background behind it. You know what? I'll put this on my Instagram so that people will know what I'm talking about here. Oh, sneaky. There was the, the reason that I ask is because, like, for people who don't know, you're a big sock <laughs> aficionado. <laughs> I am, and this all kind of stemmed from, like, so, look, I've been working in television for, I've been fortunate to do it my entire career, and I've been so grateful for this opportunity. And most of my hosting at the start was, like, MTV-style shows and, like, you know, I was wearing like 
t-shirts and jeans, like, like, like what you see me wearing for a lot of these interviews on YouTube. And then as my um, job started to progress, I started to have to wear suits. And I'm like, wow, man, I feel like I'm selling a little bit of my soul here. I felt like I was like, you know, turning corporate or something, having to wear suits all the time. But I'm like, you know what, though? I can still wear fun socks and they won't be seen on TV, but at least I'll know in my heart that if I'm wearing a suit up top, my socks can still be fun. So that's kind of where it all stemmed from. It was like me in this tiny, weird <laughs> rebellion against having to wear suits all the time. And now, ironically, I enjoy wearing suits. Is there a particular dealer where you get them from? I, I So this is going to sound like super snobby, but I got in with this company like probably five years ago called Book a Tailor, and they make these incredible custom suits. And the cool part about that is you can put whatever you want on the inside. So I had these like cool liners on the inside and then whatever catchphrase you want. So <laughs> I have suits that say on the inside, like it's there's it's embroidered on the inside, to be the man, you gotta beat the man, and other such ridiculous wrestling catchphrases. Does Ric Flair know that you have a Ric Flair suit? Ric Flair doesn't know, but I wore that suit when I interviewed The Rock for Hercules. And I sat down and I said, before we start, Rock, I got to show you this. And I open it up and he like looks in and he like squints. He's like, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Okay, oh, that's great, man. That must be great for like for, for Dwayne Johnson, who will be doing those uh, media junkets all day. Suddenly you walk in and, and there's the wrestling connection. Yes and no. I think that The Rock has done so much more, you know, since leaving wrestling that when I come in and like, obviously we got to talk about whatever movie it is he's promoting, but I always try to slide in like at least one wrestling question. And he's so gracious and he's always good and he always answers it. But I also feel like there's this part of him that's kind of like, oh, you want to talk about that thing I did 15 years ago? Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, The Rock's yeah. awesome. But at the same time, I think he's like, yes, but I've done all this other stuff since. I think it's all about phrasing it in such a way where it's a, it's an aside rather than like the main thing you're there to talk about. Of course. But like, uh, here's a great example. When I interviewed him for Moana, I like <laughs> I worked on this question for so long so I could phrase it in a way that would both be like good for the movie, but like also good for us as wrestling fans. So I was like, hey, look, Moana lived on this island and everything could have been great on that island. But she decided she wanted to go outside of that island and, and see what was beyond, you know, the ocean. I said, this is kind of like you, Rock. You could have stayed in WWE. You could have broken Ric Flair's record. Everything would have been great, but you decided to go beyond that, just like Moana. Why? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I appreciate how you brought that around there. Yeah, good job, man. There is something special in that moment as, as an interviewer when you ask a question and you go, yep. Nailed it. Although I feel like sometimes, and you probably experienced this because you're you know, a fantastic interviewer. I feel like there's sometimes when it's genuine, when someone's like, oh, my God, wow, never thought of it like that. And then there's another time when they're just saying, huh, that's a great question. And they're just like trying to buy themselves more time because they're like, yeah, I don't know. That's actually not a good question, but I don't know how to answer it. So I'll <laughs> say that's a good question. Have you ever had that where you know you've asked the question and, and it's fallen completely flat? Oh, yeah. Come on. Every interview. That happens all the time. You know this. <laughs> I just, it is true. I just, especially when you do, as you know, these hour-long interviews, not every single question is a home run. And the thing that I really appreciate about you, Tom, is you make these interviews just conversations and that's something that i've always tried to do 
you know, in the stuff that I do. Like, I, I don't think that interviews should ever be question, answer, question, answer. You know what I mean? It's more fun that way. And by the way, thank you. That means a lot. Um, it's more fun that way when it's just it's just two people talking. And I think, you you know, we everybody finds out more about everybody when it's just a chat rather than like a, a, a solid like like, you know, to, to to break the fourth wall on this. Like I'm currently looking at probably six or seven bullet points uh, to bring up with yourself. And I'm confident sure. enough to go, Do you know what? We're going to flow with it. And, and if we get to bullet point six before we get to bullet point three, that's fine. Nobody dies. We'll just figure it out <laughs> along the way. We'll have but a that nice right time there, with it. That's a master class right there in interviewing. And I think for anybody that's listening to this right now that wants to start a podcast or wants to start a YouTube channel, you've got to listen to these words here because I think too many people overthink it. And if you and I, Tom, were going to go out for a beer tonight and, you know, it's Good going luck, to take mate, one. The pubs are shut. <laughs> I know. Please don't rub it in. Uh, but if we if, – okay, so if we were to go in a time machine back two weeks ago when we could uh. have a beer – uh, you wouldn't days. go, oh, my God, I got to spend two hours. What are we going to talk about? You just go, ah, the conversational flow. Yeah. And then if it doesn't, you just book a taxi and you get away. That's right. Oh, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I got to work early in the morning. What do you mean? You stick uh, your head all night? No, I just, oh, yeah, I no, I'm just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to just had a phone call. The phone hasn't <laughs> rang. It's in, it's all in my mind. Um, <laughs> Chris, we're sending you on a desert island. And we're sending you on that desert island with a DVD featuring three wrestling matches that you can watch over and over again. What would the first wrestling match that you have on this DVD, what would you like it to be? Well, it's got to be the greatest match of all time, which uh, was WrestleMania 18, Rock Hogan, Icon versus Icon. And I'm not just saying this because I was there. I was. I was there in the uh, 16th row. The energy in that crowd was incredible. And even just talking about it right now, I have goosebumps. Hulk Hogan, the sage of set, WrestleMania, the biggest matchup of all time. A matchup that will determine who will go down as the greatest ever. And Hogan, last week, you asked The Rock, you stood in the ring and asked The Rock, what you're gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? You see, Hogan, what you're failing to realize, the Rock wants you to remember is The Rock wants Hulkamania to run wild on him tonight. The Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. What you gonna do, Hulk Hogan, when you face The Rock tonight? When you've got butterflies in your Hulk stomach and you reach down to feel if you still got a Hulk strudel? Hulk Hogan, what you gonna do when The Rock runs wild on you? But you know what, Hogan? The Rock will tell you exactly what you're going to do. The Rock will tell you you're going to feel the electricity like you've never felt before. Electricity that has happened like never before. Hulk Hogan, you are going to hear 70,000 strong chanting your name, chanting The Rock's name. Hulk Hogan, you will see the people's elbow come crashing down on your chest. And Hogan, above all else, above all else, you will, you will. You will, you will, you will. Good God Almighty, you will. Some What the rock is cooking. It is going to be an epic a little bit later here tonight. There's a lot of Hogan fans. 
lot of Rock fans. And it's going to be decided one-on-one. Energy in that crowd was amazing. Rock was supposed to be face. Obviously, that changed instantly when both Rock and Hogan got into the ring. And it was amazing. And then when I interviewed Rock for the first time in 2012, I told him. I was so excited to tell him that was my favorite match of all time. And he goes, oh, yeah? Who are you cheering for? I'm like, why? <laughs> the Rock. I'm like, yeah, I was, I was cheering for Hogan. He's like, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, what I love about that, it's a great example of when... Um, of, of the art of wrestling in the sense it's different to a it's different to a pantomime it's different to a play it's different to a movie in the sense that you're in front of a live crowd and the masters of it the true masters of it can read that crowd and change things on the fly as you rightly said the rock went in and he was going to be uh the the good guy and uh, the the crowd you you particular in particular chris i'm sure uh get swept <laughs> up in it and uh, suddenly they're booing the rock, and and the the stick the stick changes, and and they're able as masters of what they do to to change the match as it goes to suit what the crowd is reacting to, and it's a now interestingly, class. oh for sure, interestingly enough. So when I talked to Hulk Hogan, I told him, of course, that was my favorite match of all time, and I said, I gotta ask you, at the end of the match, did you know that the NWO was gonna come out and beat you up? And he's like, Oh, I had no idea, brother. Uh, the ref just told me to stay in the ring. I didn't know why, which is, you know, was interesting because The Rock had won the match. Why was Hogan staying in the ring? And then, of course, you know, it all played out. And I just thought that was so interesting that all of this, you know, the, the roles within the match and then what happened after the match all happened as it was happening. So all of it was basically one massive audible. That's incredible. So you were there as a fan at that point. So you're uh, you you arrive at the arena like of all the matches for that night. Was it Hogan Rock that you were excited for? Absolutely. So I'm 18 years old at the time. I'm I'm as old as WrestleMania is old. So oh, same. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. So WrestleMania 18. I'm 18 years old, and I went with two of my friends, and I'm in college at the time, and we had spent. I'm actually looking at the ticket stub right now. Um, let me see this, which is amazing. To sit in the 16th row, I spent $126 for the ticket, $135.50, Amer- or that's Canadian, actually, including the um, exchange, or including the uh, fees. So $135, and I'm saying to my friends, like, man, $135, that's a lot of money. Like, we're 18 years old. Like, that's a lot. Like, should we just man, should we just sell these tickets? Like, there's scalpers all around the arena. And this is at Sky Dome in Toronto. It's like a half-hour train ride from my hometown, which is Pickering. So I've gone from my college town, driven back to my um, hometown, and then taken the train with my friends into the cities. Or, yeah, into Toronto for, Sky, uh, for WrestleMania and for, you know, to be at the Sky Dome. And... My one friend was like, you know what? We could probably get like 200 bucks. That'd be a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe we should do that. And then the one friend's like, what are you talking about? This is WrestleMania. We should go in. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, we should definitely go in. And the second we just walked into the arena, and that was like three hours before the actual show started. But as soon as we walked in there, it was like, oh, yeah, we, we made the right decision. There was just such a buzz in the air. And I also feel bad because that buzz came to – total crescendo during the rock hogan match and then a lot of people forget there were two matches after that there was the women's match and then there was the championship match which was triple h and chris jericho and the crowd was so dead for those matches 
I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Rock Hogan should have absolutely been the main event of that show. Yeah, a lot of people have said that ever since then. The 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 match order was slightly wrong on that particular night. But the 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 main thing is the the reaction to that Rock Hogan match was was something else. You say you're you're as old as WrestleMania, so I'm assuming that uh, you've been a fan. Well, that that wasn't your first wrestling event. You when did you become a wrestling fan? That was my first WrestleMania, but I, I started watching wrestling in like the late 80s. And it wasn't like crazy passionate about it. It just happened to be on at my grandparents' house. And my grandfather would have it on. He wasn't really a big fan either. It was just, you know, Saturday and it was an interesting thing to watch. So I grew up with the larger than life stars, of course. You know, it was Hogan and Macho Man, but also like Sergeant Slaughter and Repo Man. And I was just kind of drawn in by these larger than life characters. But it wasn't until the Attitude Era that I really got sucked in and became the crazy fan that I am now. And it was interesting because I was on the high school wrestling team. And I remember a few of my friends on the high school wrestling team watched pro wrestling. And I'm like, I can't believe you watch that fake stuff. We do the real stuff in here. And I don't know what happened. It was just like it was on TV. I had a every Monday night. I had a good friend who loved watching it every Monday. We would talk on the phone. And then as soon as nine o'clock hit, he'd go, I got to go. Wrestling's on. And this pattern continued. And eventually I'm like, all right, well, I'll just kind of I'll watch it with you. We'll stay on the phone here. And I just got into it. It was McMahon and Austin and that feud that they had that really sucked me in. And man, I I watched it. I watched everything. I watched Raw on Mondays. I would switch back to Nitro. Raw repeated again in Toronto on that Tuesday, and I would watch that again. I watched Thunder. I watched ECW on Fridays. I was watching SmackDown. I watched Jacked and Metal and Sunday Night Heat. I watched everything, and I taped it all so that if I had nothing better to do, I would play the tapes of that. So you've always got a backup of wrestling you can watch when there's no wrestling to watch. (laughs) <laughs> that was exactly it because the internet was very much in its infancy back then and you weren't able to really definitely weren't able to see matches back then you were able to see clips we're talking like 97 98 99 and i of course you know like so many other wrestling fans i wanted to be a pro wrestler and i was part of a backyard wrestling federation in my hometown <laughs> oh yeah and the plan was oh, that once, once i got into college i was going to go to wrestling school which i did briefly but yeah, I was I was all in on this dream. I want to talk about this Backyard Wrestling Federation, Please. Chris. What was the federation called? Uh, I was the HCW, which was... <laughs> so stupid. Which oh, wait, was no, hard... no, honestly, right, embrace the cringe. I know your toes are curling through your fantastic socks, but embrace the cringe with me, Chris. Tell me the name of your promotion. Say this was <laughs> the HCW, which was Hardcore Championship Wrestling. Actually, my friends at the time wanted it to be Hardcore canadian wrestling and i said hey hold on guys let's not just limit ourselves here let's be hcw hardcore championship wrestling and i was the biggest heel in the company chris sharp the professional chris sharp who is very inspired by triple h right down to the tape i had on the tape on my wrist on my left hand the tape on my wrist and hand on my right hand just like Triple H. So you were the professional Chris Sharp. Sharp with an E? <laughs> no, no E, but I was sharp okay. walking, sharp talking, sharp dressing. <laughs> Name of your finisher. 
Oh, well, geez, it was it was the swanton <laughs> bomb and it was just nice. the swanton bomb, uh, right. which I look back on now and, and I cringe looking at that. I'm like, how did I not break my neck or legs doing this? What a stupid move that was. But you loved it. But that's the love of professional wrestling coming through, you know, in, in doing stuff in your back garden like that. It, yes. But it, it like, you know, when you're so I was 16 and 17 when I did this and you think you're invincible at that age. So like we would go to like, I remember going to like fireworks displays in the park and be hanging out with like a bunch of our other high school friends. And my buddy would just be like, Hey man, let's, let's do a power bomb. And I would take a power bomb in the middle of like a field or like, I would just suplex people because you get that reaction. And that's part of why I loved wrestling because of that instant reaction you would get from the crowd. And that's part of why I love doing what I do now. Like, not because you don't get an instant reaction with hosting, but you're able to affect people. And that's what I really loved about it. Uh, as well as running HC Dub, HC Dub, you had time to step away from wrestling because your other pastime, uh, almost the binary opposite in terms of like pace and, 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 and style and such, because you're a keen fisherman. Yes, very big into bass fishing. Um, and you're right. It's so juxtaposed from not just wrestling, but also from like, if you, if you watched me on TV, like I was just hosting the show in Miami for the last five years, I'm on there wearing like nice suits and like the nice socks, like you mentioned, like I'm on red carpets and interviewing these massive stars in the world. And then Friday night, I would like pack my pickup truck up hitch my boat up to it and I would drive up to the lake and I would fish in tournaments. And sometimes I would fish in like pro-am tournaments. I, w I was the amateur, but yeah, I, I, I was, I was as involved in fishing as I've been in wrestling. Like that I, my hand is like deep into this and I, you know, I, that, that was a big part of me. And I, I don't fish as much now, but I actually have a fishing company. We have a, we sell tungsten fishing weights. So for bass fishing, that's the thing that like helps get your bait like sunk down to the bottom. And of course, tying in the wrestling with the fishing, it's called Woo Tungsten. <laughs> yeah. To beat the fish, you have to catch the fish. You could probably no, come up with something better. Wow. I'm going to trademark that right now. It's yours. It's my gift to you. It's my gift to you. Wow. Um, You're too kind. What got you into fishing? I don't like there's nothing specific about it. Like I'd love to say, oh, my dad fished or my grandfather fished. But we used to go to our neighbor's cottage in the summer and they were on a lake and I was four years old and I was there was no one really else around my age. My sister's four years older than me. All the other kids there were, you know, four or five, six years older than me. So I, they put me out on a dock with this plastic fishing rod and I caught my first ever fish. It was a rock bass. And ever since that moment, I was hooked. Pardon the pun. Ha! That was really bad. <laughs> but I was hooked. That was it. I was I was all in on fishing. And I wanted to do it all the time. And it became a thing for me. Like, I also played baseball growing up. I played um, hockey growing up. I was on the wrestling team, as I mentioned. And it's funny that a lot of that had to take a back seat to fishing because I was that into fishing. I had a couple of years when I was probably 14, 15, 16, where I was fishing like 180, 190 days a year. It was a lot of fishing. And it's funny that like I, I would ride my bicycle 
down to the, we had a, I was close to Lake Ontario, which is one of the Great Lakes, which had a lot of these rivers that flowed out of it. And that was like, especially in the spring and the fall, without getting too in depth here with fishing, but in the spring when the trout would run and in the fall when the salmon would run, like I was down there literally every single day to the point where our high school backed onto a creek and I had a, <laughs> I had a fishing rod in my locker. So there were, there were times when I would go out fishing during my lunch break, catch a few salmon, take some photos, let them go, and then go back to my class, probably smelling like fish. <laughs> um, what did your class? Obviously, you, you said, oh, your, your classmates pulled you up on the whole wrestling is fake, da, 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 fake stuff, do the real stuff in here. What did your classmates right. make of you nipping out and going fishing? Yeah, <laughs> I was I was so into fishing as soon as I got into high school that they were just like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what he would do. Like. People called me fish. They called me fish boy, fish man. Like I was that like when I get into something, Tom, I I go one thousand percent in. I dive all the way into this, whether that's fishing or it's wrestling or it's now business or TV hosting. Like I dive all in on this and I was all in on fishing. So people were just like, oh, of course you would do that. That's that's exactly what someone who loves fishing would do. Well, it's the sign of a, uh, a a successful personality, isn't it? It's somebody that just throws themselves into whatever project it is, a hundred percent, whether it's a leisure activity or a business one. And you've obviously proved successful in in pretty much everything you've turned your hand to. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I just think that there's no point in half-assing. I think that if you're gonna go into something, go in with your whole ass. But I think that you, <laughs> but, but I think you need to go in with all of it. Otherwise, it's it's just a waste of your time and. I think there's nothing worse, and we all have that friend. There's nothing worse than the person who talks about doing stuff, talks, 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 and then never actually does anything. And I think that there's two types of people in this world. There's doers and there's sayers. And I don't want to just be a sayer. If I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I want my word to be gold. I want my, I want you to take me at my word. So if I say I'm going to do something, you know that I'm going to follow through and actually do that. Is there anything outside of obviously you've 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 done the fishing world you've you've wrestled yourself you worked as a as an announcer as well you're you're in an interview for AEW which we'll talk about in a bit uh, lots of stuff involved in wrestling lots to do with fishing and TV hosting is there anything that you haven't done yet that you are genuinely thinking of going whole ass into Yeah acting's next for me actually so I've done dabbled a little bit in it I've, I've you know being a news reporter I've been hired in a few movies to play a news reporter. So if you've seen like, actually like some big movies, like I'm in criminal activities with John Travolta. I play uh, a news anchor in that. I'm in a movie called The Bronze with Sebastian Stan, better known as you know the Winter Soldier. Uh, I'm in The Love Guru with Mike Myers. So I've actually been taking acting lessons for the last three months. And I was supposed to move to Los Angeles last week. I was supposed to pack up my car, move it out there, and I was going to dive right into as much hosting as I could, as much entertainment reporting as I could, which is definitely what my background has been, but also into the acting world. So I'm not saying I'm going to be the next Will Smith or Sandra Bullock or something, but I'm going to give this my all. And it's something that just brings me great pleasure. And being on a movie set is just really exciting. There's a certain amount of energy there. Even in the tiny roles I've had where I have literally one or two lines, there's just a real excitement there. And anybody listening to this who's been on a movie set, you know the food is 
incredible on a movie set. <laughs> Best thing you've eaten on a movie set. Uh, so it's funny. The very <laughs> the funny story about that. The first movie I was on was called was The Love Guru. That was the big first big movie. That was 2007 when we filmed it. it came out in 2008, and they separated it from like if you were actually like part of the acting union, you got to eat this food over here, which was like gourmet, amazing, like steaks and turkey. Like there's a guy there carving it. And everybody else, which was like me and most of the other people I met on that set, were like, you guys can go eat this food over here. And I just thought that was so funny. But the best food, like they've got everything. And that's the that's the cool thing about being on these movie sets, the catering, the craft services, as they call it. Oh, my God, it's amazing. But I'm like, I'm a pretty simple man. Like, just feed me pizza or chicken and I will be happy forever. You talk about um, packing up and going to Los Angeles. And I'm always intrigued by when I know when people say that and they say, I'm going to go and seek my fortune in L.A. Like, like <laughs> what's the plan when you get there? Is it just a case of once I'm there, I need to make jazz happen? Or do you have <laughs> things that you're planning to do when you're out there? Yeah, well, I think if you don't have a plan going out there you're just gonna fail so well that's it because the way a lot of people yeah. always talk is so so it's it, it sounds so so hollywood ironically in the fact they say <laughs> i'm gonna pack up my life i'm gonna go to la and and that's where i'm gonna to to get started it's like what and do what i'd be the person yes. to pull up and go all right i'm here now um yep. just gonna have a sandwich sit down for a bit like yep. I, I was just curious yep. what the plan was well, and unfortunately, that's what most people do. I think most people go, oh, I've been in a few theater plays in my local town. I can go to Hollywood. And they'll go to, they'll, they'll drive their car out to Hollywood with $500 in their pocket and realize, A, Los Angeles is a very expensive city. <laughs> and B, more importantly, they didn't have a plan. So I'm in a bit of a different scenario here. Like I can work from wherever, you know, a lot of what I'm doing now is my YouTube interviews and also my podcast. So I can do that from anywhere. And as you probably know, I'm not afraid to fly or drive to make these interviews happen. So Los Angeles is actually going to be a much more central location for me. A ton of wrestlers live in Los Angeles. A ton of wrestlers live in Las Vegas, which is about a five hour drive. And I've been spending so much time in LA over the last 10 years working as a TV host and entertainment reporter. I probably was in L.A. at least once a month for the last 10 years. So I feel like it's already kind of my second American home. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like it's a big transition. It just kind of feels like the next logical step. I have more friends living in Los Angeles than any other city. So it's just a matter of like it's, it, it wasn't a matter of if it was going to happen. It was a matter of when is this going to happen? And if I'm being completely honest, I thought it was going to happen a long time ago, like I, I spent five years hosting shows in Canada and just kind of thought like, well, when, when I'm ready to make the move to the U.S., I'll just go to L.A. or New York. And it didn't happen like that. I went to Cleveland first. had an amazing time as an entertainment reporter for the CBS affiliate there. I covered the Oscars and the Grammys. Uh, and then I went from there to Miami and the same thing. Uh, you know, had an amazing time working on a great show and interviewing the biggest stars in the world and telling great stories. But now the next step is like it needs to be Los Angeles. That, and, that, and that's what it's all about. You know, you just got to make it happen for yourself. I think that too many people move to Hollywood thinking they'll get discovered walking along Hollywood Boulevard or they'll get discovered because they're, you know, serving in a they're working as a waiter in a big restaurant. That's not how it happens. It happens by going out 
and paying your dues and actually putting in the work. And that just goes with anything. It goes for anything in life. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Second match for your DVD. So we have Rock and Hogan at WrestleMania 18. What else is going on there, Chris? We spent so much time talking about that one, so thank you for that. Uh, and, and it went off into these many, many tangents. But number two love it. on that list is a match I've watched hundreds of times, and I just love the fast-paced action of this match. And it's AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels versus Samoa Joe in 2005. And that match is... I think that that really was the match that put TNA on the map. And that was the match that made a lot of people go, oh, wow. There's some great wrestling happening outside of WWE. It's time for the signature division of TNA to take center stage. It's time for the X Division Championship match. And here are the X Factors. Back in August, the unbeaten Samoan submission machine, Samoan Joe, captured the Super X Cup to become the number one contender. The Fallen Angel, X Division champion, he may have influenced the outcome last month at Sacrifice, but TNA officials insisted that AJ Styles deserves to be included in the three-way. At Unbreakable, they're going to settle their differences. X Division title goes to the wrestler who scores the first submission or pin. Will it be Samoa Joe, the phenomenal AJ Styles, or the champion Christopher Daniels? And that match goes 100 miles an hour from the time the bell rings until the time the match ends. And it's interesting because I interviewed Christopher Daniels. No, sorry, I was interviewing uh, Ethan Page, who's been doing a lot of stuff with Impact and their, their Twitch stream. And he said that that's the only five-star match in the history of TNA, which blows my mind. There's been so many great matches in TNA, but if there is going to be a five-star match, that's the one. It's what's, What stands out about that particular one, before we get into actually the quality of the match itself, was it made it put TNA in a position where they could stand out because it was it was the the X Division Championship going on last. And I think for a lot of people, they thought the X Division was the cruiserweight division, which I guess kind of was, and it certainly shared some elements with that. 
But it also, you know, when you for a lot of people seeing Samoa Joe for the first time doing what Samoa Joe can do, they went, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe this isn't about weight limits. It's about no limits. And I thought that that match is just something I will go back to frequently. And I'm blown away by it. And here we are 15 years later, and that match still stands the test of time. Where were you when you watched it? I didn't watch it live. I And that's the thing. I wasn't really a big TNA fan at the time. And I was graduating from college at the time, so I wasn't watching as much wrestling as I was as certainly as I'm watching now and I was watching in high school. I watched it on a DVD like a few months later. And I think a friend was just like, hey, man, have you seen this match? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen some X Division stuff. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You need to see this. And that opened the door for me when I watched that match because then I started really getting into the Ultimate X matches, which, boy, those those things were mind-blowing to me. And I love that TNA did so many things that were different. And I think that in wrestling, it feels like everything's been done before. And TNA really went out of their way to create some some interesting stuff, but also some different stuff. And I was such a huge TNA fan kind of from that point on, like 2006, 2007 into 2008. I was probably watching more TNA than anything else. What people forget is that at this point in time, TNA has been TNA in different forms, obviously impact briefly global force and all that has actually been around longer than WCW was. <laughs> Isn't that That's ridiculous? an interesting observation. Yeah. And it's, it's so sad to, you know, see what TNA was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and then to see what it is now. And I just feel like they really had the chance to capitalize on something. And, you know, I don't know who, who you need to point the finger at, but I, it's, it's sad that they weren't able to capitalize on that when they had the chance to capitalize on it. And I know that everyone laughs. Oh, TNA tried to go head to head with Raw. If you look at those numbers now, TNA, yes, they paled in comparison and obviously realized their mistake quickly and went back to their normal night. But they were getting three million viewers when they were going head to head with Raw, which I think was getting like five or six or seven or whatever it was at the time. But three million viewers <laughs> like like that, that that's a huge number. Smackdown would and, kill and that was, for three million now. Oh, and, and that wasn't on network, which SmackDown is on network television. You know, this was on Spike TV, which was such a great home for TNA. And I think I think as soon as that deal went with Spike TV kind of, you know, went away, it was like, well, I don't even know what channel to find it on anymore. And, and that's been that's been a tough thing. But I, I appreciate what Impact's doing now. And this is not a slight on Impact Wrestling. I appreciate what Impact's doing now. And they have actually some pretty impressive storylines now it's just i feel like they need to do something to spark that energy again and get people excited about it again who's your one to watch currently in impact what sammy callahan's doing right now with this new gimmick i think is really interesting and i sat down with him about a month ago when he was doing the gimmick but the gimmick hadn't aired yet on tv so he was like hey, let's wait till this airs on TV before we like, you know, kind of show this to the world. We don't want to have any like spoilers. But there's a guy who's, I think, just incredible at reinventing himself and finding a, a way for his character to work with either what he's invented or what he's been handed. 
And I'm excited to see where he goes with this gimmick. So Sammy Callahan, completely underrated, I think. You talk about sitting down uh, with Sammy Callahan. He's one of hundreds of wrestlers that you've spoken to uh, over time. We've talked about the, the journeys that you go on to go and make these interviews happen. But can you remember the first interview that you did? And as a wrestling fan, it's okay to do it. Uh, but the first wrestling interview that you did that genuinely you were, you were nervously excited about doing? Well, my first ever wrestling interview had all of those qualities. And it was Bobby oh, wow. Lashley. Bobby Lashley, 2007, and I was working for the MTV2 network in Vancouver. So this was a, a huge show for me and a huge break for my career. And we were interviewing a lot of musicians. We were interviewing a few actors. And then I saw that WWE was coming to town. So I reached out to WWE, and I, I, I didn't have a contact there. I just basically did whatever. I'm like, I want to interview a wrestler. I was so excited about it. So I reached out to them and said, hey, I see you're coming here next month. I would love to do an interview with literally anybody. And they said, oh, well, we're bringing Bobby Lashley to town next week to do some like press for it. Would you like to be added to that interview list? And I'm like, yes, for sure. And they're like, well, it's going to be done at like eight in the morning. And I didn't start work till nine in the morning. I'm like, yes, I will come in an hour for work <laughs> early for work. We'll make this happen. And the interview was not great. I actually oh. reposted this. I reposted this last summer. It was nothing to do with Bobby. Bobby was fantastic. He was actually the ECW champion at the time. So I was cool, like, having him come to the TV station with the ECW championship. He let me hold it in the photos. It was, it was awesome. I actually reposted this video last summer to just kind of show people, like, hey, this is where, <laughs> this is where I started, uh, you know, compared to where I'm at now. And, like, just know that, like, we all have the ability to – make some progress along our journey. And we edited the interview. So it actually, you know, it, it flows and it sounds okay, but the interview wasn't awesome. It's not something I'm super proud of, but it was, I was proud of the fact that I made it happen. Someone didn't like a, an assignment editor didn't hand this to me and go, here's the person you're going to interview. I went out of my way to make this happen. And that's why I was so proud of that one. I think that's what I love, uh, and I'm learning more about you in speaking to you, is that uh, you're an amazing example of you make your opportunities. Oh, a thousand percent. Like, you know, talking about that job in Vancouver, the, the way I got that job, and by the way, Vancouver from where my hometown was is 3,000 miles away. It was a 47-hour drive to get there when I did get the job, <clears throat> but... I sent in my stuff for this job. I saw the job posting. They were looking for a host with uh, two years experience, which is exactly what I'd had. I started off my career as a news reporter in this very small town called Peterborough, Ontario. And I was driving an hour each way, living in my parents' place and going there for work. It started as an internship, which turned into a job. And then when I saw this other one, I'm like, this is great. I don't want to be a news reporter for the rest of my life. Uh, I just feel like I'm too young and I, I want to report on things that are more positive and happy. So I sent in my stuff for this job and I didn't hear anything back. But in the job posting was the name of the person who was doing the hiring. So I waited about a week and I called the TV station. I just randomly called the front desk and said, oh, hi, is so-and-so there, please? And they said, yeah, one minute. And I'm like, what? And they actually connected me to the desk of the person who was doing the hiring. Wow. And she didn't answer the phone, but I left a voicemail. She emailed me back and said, hey, we're looking 
you know, we're looking at this stuff. We'll get back to you if we're interested. In her email was her direct phone line. So I'm like, well, I am going to be using that if I don't hear back from them. Sure enough, didn't hear back from them. A week later, I called her at her desk and said, hi, uh, it's Chris Van Vliet. I emailed you last week. And I just wanted to see if you've had a chance to look at my stuff. Well, we haven't looked at it yet, but, you know, we'll get to it. I said, well, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be in Vancouver next week, next Thursday. Uh, I would just love to come in and just chat with you about the job uh, if you have the time. And that was a total and complete lie. I wasn't going to be on the other side of the country, a five-hour flight away. But she said, oh, well, if you're going to be here, yeah, come on in. It would be great to talk to you. So I hung up the phone and instantly booked a flight and basically created this opportunity for myself. Flew there, got myself a hotel, and went in for the interview. And within five minutes, they offered me the job. And that was what was – it was so gratifying because I created this opportunity for myself. I, I believed in myself and I bet on myself that I had the skill set to get this job, but they weren't going to see me. They weren't going to bring me in for an audition. So I put the odds in my favor. I said, if you're not going to bring me in, I will bring myself in. So yeah, that's kind of been, I mean, that's almost been every job I've ever got. So that's kind of been the story of my life. People just need to realize that you're aware of what your skill sets are and you just need to double down on them. Like just bet on yourself. And this isn't a, an idea of like trusting your gut. This is like knowing what you're good at and becoming better at that thing. And then, you know, like this job I have in, uh, that I had in Miami, once again, they didn't want to pay the money to bring someone in, which is a pretty common thing, I think, in, in most lines of work. I happened to be going to Disney World in Orlando like that weekend. And I said, look, I know Orlando's not close to Miami. It's about a three and a half hour drive. I said, if I call into work sick on Monday, change my flight from Orlando to Miami and rent a car, this is what I'm saying to my agent. I said, do you think that they'll give me an audition? She calls me back 20 minutes later. She's like, yeah, yeah, they'll see you Monday night at 8 o'clock. I'm like, uh, okay. So I did it. I rented a car, changed my flight, called into work sick, did all of this. And it all paid off because I ended up getting that job. Do the people that you worked for know that you faked being sick? Because <laughs> um, now so I think it's job... a good time to, to apologize. <laughs> well, that was the job that I left. And look, I was I was really I'm I'm not someone who calls into work sick often. I'm a, I'm a big believer in like in honesty, and I never wanted to be one of those pers people who like the alarm rang. Oh, I don't feel like going to work today. Oh, sorry, boss. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not feeling well today. I was never one of those people. This was probably like one of three sick days I used in five years. So to answer your question, no, <laughs> they didn't know. But then I ended up leaving two months later. So I'm sure it kind of all made sense to them. But also, I wasn't someone who was calling into work often. Before we get to your final match on your DVD, mm. uh, you're also oh. allowed to take a movie, an album, and a luxury item, Chris. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to take the greatest movie of all time, Back to the Future. Oh, um, which one? Which one? Which one? Which one? Well, number one, I think, is the best. Although, two, I, I think, oh, man, the way Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, the director, envisioned the future, um, which obviously happened five years ago in 2015 but the way that he envisioned the future i think was amazing and then number three is a nice little bow on top of the whole story but i think number one has everything it's it's 
nothing. It's it's the closest thing I think you can get to the perfect film. It has drama and it has comedy. It has moments where you want to cry because you're happy. It has moments where you want to cry because you're sad. It has amazing characters. It has it all. How about an album? I think the album I'd have to bring would be the album that was kind of like a turning point for me in my adolescence. And it's Blink-182's Enema of the State. And when I started listening, I was, you know, I would have been 17, 16 when that came out. And that was just the album that like, I put that on and I'm like, this band is speaking right to me. And all my friends loved it. And there's always great memories attached to all the songs on that album, you know, all the small things and what's my age again. I mean, we can go through the whole album, but music's really interesting. And music has that ability to transport us to a place and to a time. And for me, that was that that place and time was high school. And like in either my backyard or my friend's backyard where we used to like listen to it and have these parties. And it was just such a special time because like that was when I was really starting to come into my own as, you know, a quote unquote adult, I guess. With um with music, it, it is incredible. And now that now that we live in the era that we do, we've got access to so yeah. much more. What was the what's what's the three the last three songs you have on a playlist, Chris? Oh wow, my my playlists now are more mostly just a collection of like, oh I like that song, I'll I'll add it onto <laughs> there. Not like, uh, oh I need to go listen to this, you know, because I'm gonna go for a run or whatever. And, and if I'm being completely honest with you. I don't listen to music as much now as I listen to podcasts or I listen to books on tape. And I used to like when I was commuting to any of the jobs that I've commuted to, I was often just putting on music and just listening to it on the ride. And then I thought, well, here's my my commute was like 40 minutes each way. So I'm like, well, here's an opportunity to learn something, to expand my mind. So I now use that time to listen to a podcast where I can hopefully, you know, take a little bit of their knowledge and, make it mine or i'll listen to a book on tape and you know after a week of commuting well you've just quote unquote read a book so that's actually what i what i do a lot of my listening with now uh hit us with a podcast that you have been listening to lately that you've enjoyed i love listening to uh, a podcast called on purpose with jay shetty and another one is the school of greatness with Lewis Howes, and it's just like they do these interviews with people who are at the absolute top of their game, whether it's athletes or actors or entrepreneurs, and it's basically breaks, like it's a podcast that breaks down their mindset and how they got to be in the place that they're at right now, and you find that even though these people might have different professions, a lot of the same stuff it remains the same. Uh, you know, through all successful people. So it's interesting. I bet you you thought I was going to list off some wrestling podcasts, but I did not. Do, do you know what? No, I didn't. I genuinely didn't, Your Honor. Not guilty. Only because <laughs> I find uh, that it's it's nice to hear that because so many times when you work so closely in wrestling uh, that you want to sometimes do stuff that isn't wrestling, even though you love it. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And as much as I love wrestling and I, in, I more than anything, love having these conversations about wrestling, I'm not like the crazy, like, Rain Man nerd when it comes to like, oh, well, the finish of the 2004 Survivor Series wasn't as good as the finish of the 2005 Survivor Series. I'm not that guy. 
<laughs> it's, I yeah, appreciate it for what it is, but I'm not like breaking down. Like I, I think one of the biggest problems with wrestling fans and wrestling podcasts is people are too quick to focus on the negatives. And I think that if you focus on the negatives in that, you're probably focusing on the negatives in other aspects of your life as well. And that's just not what I want to do. I'd rather lead with positivity. Your luxury item, sir, for the island. Can I bring my iPhone? Like, you can't is, make calls. Is that a luxury it, item? Okay. Um, <laughs> do I have internet service? <laughs> uh, you, we have a satellite that goes over every hour, so you could probably okay. pick up the odd message. So. <laughs> All right. Well, if I can still like watch YouTube videos and make YouTube videos using the camera on my phone, which then every hour I can upload to your satellite, I think I'll do that brilliant i like the I fact know, that you're that's using, an that's an it what do most people use for their luxury item what, what's the popular answer for the luxury item toilet related things weirdly oh yeah probably should have thought about that one then we've had huh. bidets, okay sorry i'm gonna change paper, my answer a toilet roll yeah. uh, all sorts of stuff yeah i did an interview for like a like a period piece movie and i always thought an interesting question was like what's the one modern day luxury you would miss from, you know, if you were living in that era and most people go, oh, yeah, I missed the phone or I'd miss my TV or whatever. And I, I'm trying to think of who it was that I interviewed. And they went, oh, well, I, I would miss a refrigerator. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a great point. I, I suppose like, you would. He's like, yeah, most people are going to go technology based. He's like, I would miss a fridge and I would miss like being able to like cook meals on a stove. I'm like, huh, yeah. Would you look at that's a, that's a really good point. So yeah, maybe I should have I should have thought this one out. Is this you take? <laughs> is this you suggesting you want to take a fridge instead of an iPhone? Mm, but I mean, with the how how good's the fridge going to be if I don't have like food? You know, like I'm gonna obviously I'm on a desert island. What am I going to be eating? <laughs> you might kill a boar, <laughs> a lot of fish. and you might want to have yeah. some of the boar later. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you know what? Chris, Chris, why haven't you taken a fishing rod? Oh, wow. no, you know what? That doesn't need to be a modern luxury. I, I'm sure I can craft some sort of fishing rod there. I think I think I could figure something out. I thought you might want like a top end, to, you know, Catch Master 9000 or whatever. Yeah, I want the Shimano Corrado DC <laughs> for all my bass fishing friends out there. And some Woo Tungsten attached, you know. Woo Tungsten. Say Woo Tungsten. That's it. That's the correct way to pronounce it. Chris, we've got one more match to add to your DVD. What would you like it to be, sir? I think the match that has to be added to the DVD is a match that, once again, I've watched hundreds of times. And a match that really opened my eyes to what was possible for both of these performers. And it was Cactus Jack versus Triple H, Royal Rumble 2000. They call you Cactus Jack. They call you Triple H. King of the death match. The WWF champion. The that lost an ear and a man that will go to any length to win. Barbed wire scars, C4 explosives, blood, sweat, and tears. You've maimed, crippled, and injured men your entire career. Some say you shoot from the hip. You will lose this street fight. I say you just shoot your mouth off. Some say you can't be beat. I am the game. I say I've played this game before and won. I am Triple H. I am Cactus Jack. Some call me sick and sadistic. I am the sickest SOB 
in the business. I call myself the World Wrestling Federation Champion. There will be no laughter, no, laughter. no regret, no regret, no remorse. I think we kind of had seen what Mick Foley was capable of. Certainly had seen it in the Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker. But I don't think we had really seen it to this extreme, certainly not in WWE. And I don't think that anyone thought going into that match that Triple H was capable of both taking this and giving this. So that was a match. And I was a huge Triple H fan around that time. So that was a match for me that I went, wow, this takes things to a whole new level. Do you recall the night that Mankind became Cactus Jack? I do. I do. And I and I, I, I'd heard, you know, about Cactus Jack from, you know, his his time before but i really wasn't familiar with him and i was just familiar with mankind which i think was a great character and look mick foley's just man one of the best of all time and whether he's dude love whether he's mick foley whether he's mankind or whether he's cactus jack i think that he's insanely talented and i remember when he was like cactus jack is the right person for this match and i'm like oh my god like things are about to get crazy uh, with that particular match, um, talk us through where you were when you watched it. First of all, let me just say, Tom, that I love that I could name literally any match that has happened in the history of wrestling. And you and I didn't discuss beforehand what these matches were. But I love that you are so knowledgeable about wrestling <laughs> that you that you would be able to follow the conversation and guide the conversation. Even if I like named off some ridiculous match from like, 1991 or something like that i'm a geek and i'm proud of it <laughs> no i think this is amazing so i actually watched that match live on pay-per-view and i remember just being like what there's thumbtacks what are they doing this is insane because i hadn't seen that other than like a few clips here and there youtube didn't exist back then. this is 2000 so some clips here and there that people had posted to message boards because that's how things were or stuff that you were downloading from LimeWire. Oh, yeah. LimeWire back in the day. That's where most of us got our wrestling matches and wrestling content from. So watching that, I was like, they've taken this to a whole new level. And I love that they allowed it to go to that level. I, I like the fact that you admitted that you download on LimeWire. Uh-oh. Is, is the statute <laughs> of limitation done or am I going to get in trouble here for that? I think enough time has passed. I think everybody gets okay. it. Okay. But I also love that this is the oh. second week in a row that a LimeWire reference has made it into Desert Island Grabs. That's the bit I'm <laughs> proud of. We had uh, our last guest, TK Cooper, who talked about downloading music off LimeWire, and now we've got this. So the wrestling world is a hotbed of, of, uh, of, of activity. I'll ask you, actually, the same question I, uh, I asked uh, TK Cooper the other week, which is, uh, did you ever, whilst using LimeWire, accidentally download uh, the file definitely Royal Rumble 2000 and not a virus exe <laughs> of course like I would say it probably it probably took what two three four maybe sometimes five you know tries to get the movie or the song or the wrestling match that you wanted because I don't know why I don't know why like, I don't know what was in it for those people that put their usernames in the file name and it was like one capital letter two lowercase three capital letters four lowercase like what was with those people i don't it, get like i don't get why they were trying to like do this to us i all i do all i want to do is watch that movie or match within that song and they would screw us 
Chris, this has been the most wonderful time. It's been so good to chat with you today about everything. And I want to give you the floor to to plug everything that you're up to, where you're at, what you're doing, where people can find you. This is your time, sir. Well, I want to thank you, Tom. I'm super grateful for this opportunity. And I hope that you continue doing what you're doing because you, you guys are just absolutely crushing it. Oh, and I want to thank stop you. It. Thank stop you for it. your time. But also for what you bring to the world of wrestling. So thank you. And oh, for you. me, uh, you can find me online. It's just my name, at Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. And if you're not subscribed on YouTube, maybe you could take three seconds today to click that subscribe button and help me out. Um, if, if Cultaholic, uh, you know, subscribes to me, then maybe you should as well. Chris, when all this is over, can we go fishing? Please. Yeah, but you'd probably come here. There's better fishing, I think, in America. So come here but i'm usually in the uk like two three ish times a year so when this is all over i will be in the uk oh, and i look forward to having that beer with you yes oh mate mate like if i if can we can we do another catch-up interview well then you're gonna be on my channel too oh yes film this while fishing oh my god i don't know that might be too much that might be my world colliding too much i don't know For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.